Well, uh, David, thank you so much for your generous invitation. Um, introduction there might have been a generous invitation in there somewhere that I missed but the generous introduction uh, we've known Dave for quite a while and uh, I can actually remember the day that Ainsley asked me for permission to hold his hand which I, I, I gladly granted and eventually David asked me for permission to take her hand and I also gladly granted permission for that so um, it's wonderful wonderful to have Dave in our family and um I think I've learned a thing or two from him as well. And uh, let me tell you, over the next three weeks, some of the things I'm sharing with you are actually the result of discussions that Dave and I have had over many, many issues for um, probably a decade or more now. So I'm a slow learner, you see. So <laughs> he has to repeat these things for 10 years before they go in. Well, look, I want to focus on the specific topic of generosity today. I actually believe that the saddest people on the planet are people who can't find it within to be generous people. And I've met many generous people and I've met many stingy people and I know what type I prefer to be around. But actually, you know what? We could cut this whole discussion short by reference to just one verse in the Bible. And uh, I could go home and say no more, actually, because this really says it all. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The most generous act in the whole of history was the act of the sacrifice that God made of his only begotten son, that is his son born of the Virgin Mary. He gave up his son that we might have life. There cannot ever have been a more generous act than that act. The Bible records that Jesus himself, part of the, the Trinity, part of the Godhead, voluntarily gave up his deity and he came and he lived amongst us as a man. And in this great act of generosity, his body was flogged until it was not even recognisable as that of a human being. And in that flogging, in all the pain he carried, in the brokenness of his body, we were made whole. As his blood poured out, every drop of that blood brought forgiveness for our sin. And I've said before, of course, that good people go to hell. We're all sinners until we make the free choice of becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And through the generous act of Jesus giving up his body and his blood, we have actually been set free and we have become righteous in God's eyes and therefore worthy of spending eternity with him. You know, 
we use the word love in a very casual and offhand way so often these days. And uh, you could be forgiven if you watch Hollywood movies that there's such a thing as falling in love. That you can meet somebody and five minutes later you can be doing what only married people should be doing. And I do understand Hollywood. I, I, I know a producer who's worked in Hollywood, who, who lives on the Gold Coast. He's, he's done a lot, of, a lot of movies. And of course, in the world of movies, you, you, you've got to shrink into two hours, maybe 20 or 30 years of storyline. But it, it, it gives us the impression, doesn't it, that, that we, we fall in love. And then we are in love and then we do what people in love do. Only to sort of cut the long story short, they usually chuck out the marriage, right? And, and people just tumble into bed and they call that love. But you know what? The Bible has a much deeper meaning for this word love. Word loved. And in the context of John 3.16, the Greek, in this case a verb, is agapeo, which is unconditional love. And you've probably heard that mentioned in Christian circles many times before. In fact, you've probably heard it so often that it doesn't mean a lot to you. But meditate on it unconditional love the love that Jesus showed us when he allowed his body to be broken beyond all recognition when he allowed his blood to be shed that is unconditional love because neither you nor I are deserving of that kind of love moreover agapeo is an act of the will it's a determined act. It's a premeditated act. It's based on a decision. And it also means unconquerable benevolence. There is nothing we can do. There is nothing, in fact, that anybody can do to stop God from being bent on blessing us through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus there's a similar concept to agapeo or agape love in the Old Testament and it's the Hebrew word kesed it is impossible to translate that word properly into English the closest we can get is the idea of loving kindness a loving kindness that never never ceases no matter what we do or say or think it's the loving kindness that caused God every time when the people of Israel strayed to draw them back and if you have a look at the the prophets in the Old Testament you will see that time after time after time Israel rejected God they ended up in all sorts of trouble but God always 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 extended his loving kindness towards them and he drew them back. Now, you know, I could stop there. I don't really think there's much more we can say about generosity because I think that says it all. But having to talk for 35 minutes and being an academic, of course I'm going to say more. <laughs> but really, it just serves to emphasise the generosity that God displayed 
in John 3.16. Let me just work through a few basic principles associated with generosity. The first we find in Proverbs 11, verses 24 to 25. This is from the New King James Version. Other versions express it a little bit differently. Uh, in fact, many other versions, instead of talking about one who scatters, they'll talk about the person who is generous. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will be watered himself. Now, the Jewish rabbis actually speak at length about these two verses. They ask the question, how can it be that one who gives away, that is, one who scatters, one who waters, how is it that they can actually become better off? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Because you see, in the world today, in the mind of human beings, we think of life as a zero-sum game, game, I should say, a zero-sum game. What is a zero-sum game? A zero-sum game is when there is only so much to go around and if I get more, that means you must have less. So one of the reasons why people stumble at generosity today is that they falsely believe that by letting things go, that by giving things a go, they will somehow have less because that other person has more. But you know the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. The laws that apply in the kingdom of God are very different to the laws that apply in the world. And here we have a principle that says if you give it away, you will actually end up with more to give away in the future. And I can tell you, we've discovered that in our own lives. And I see it in my children's lives. I don't know how much collectively we've given away over the years, but we've never gone short. We've never gone short because this principle never, ever fails. There is one who scatters, that is, there is one who gives generously, but increases more. There's a spiritual principle here. In Proverbs, as you might expect, the opposite case is also explored. In Proverbs 23, 6 to 8, we read, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart isn't with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Can anyone think, you don't have to actually put your hand up and give me their name, but can you think of someone you know who's miserly and think how much you enjoy being in their company? Well, I've known a few Christians throughout my life who are stingy. And you know what? It's awful to be in their presence. I mean, occasionally they might invite you to dinner. But it's as if you are imposing on them and you are somehow robbing them of the food that was in their pantry. <laughs> and the conversation half the time revolves around how much this cost or how much that cost 
or I can't afford this and I can't afford that. Who wants to be a Christian if that's what Christianity means? And here we have the promise is don't spend time with the miser. It'll make you sick. It'll certainly make you spiritually sick, if not any other kind of sick. There's no room in the kingdom of God for misers. Why is that? Because we're supposed to be like God. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. So we can never truly be ambassadors of Christ unless we're generous people. Because if we're not, we're not actually displaying the character of the God whom we say we believe in. And if you think this is all Old Testament, let's have a look at what the New Testament has to say. Jesus is quoted in the book of Acts as saying, simply it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Dave and I were having a conversation the other day about Jesus and the law. And of course, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. But he actually did more than that. He upped the ante. And we know of two specific cases in which he did that. He did that in the case of murder and in the case of adultery. And I was sharing with Dave that I've actually got a, a paper uh, in my office. I've got a file on, on biblical worldview. And there's a, a, a paper in there, the title of which is Jesus upped the ante on the whole of the law. I mean, we could never obey the law in the first place. Too hard. But uh, Jesus made it so clear, not just hard, absolutely and utterly impossible. And uh, we'll talk about tithing next week. One of the things I'll touch on is this saying of Jesus. It's not about 10%. It's just about giving. He said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He didn't say it was easy, but he said it was more blessed. And uh, the Greek word used there is a makarios, which means large or of long duration. And in the Old Testament, the idea of blessing is an empowerment to prosper, right? An empowerment that comes from God to prosper individually and as a community. So this blessing that Jesus was talking about is about prospering. And there's no limit on prospering in the sense that it covers all areas of our existence, not just financial prospering. The Hebrews, they write a lot about generosity. It's actually part of the lifestyle of the Jew. If you have a look at records of, of giving in the United States, for example, where Jews are about 2% of the population, they represent around about 30% of the biggest givers in the United States. So they are wealthy. They are also very, very generous. In Hebrew thinking, uh, generosity and righteousness are two sides of the same coin. Who knows that under the law you couldn't actually make it to heaven unless you were righteous, all right? The point of the law was to make us righteous. And when we're righteous, 
we get into heaven. But you see, you couldn't be righteous without being generous because it was just like two sides of the one coin. In fact, uh, the Hebrew word tzedakah, which actually was a law of charity, is, is based on the idea of righteousness, justice and fairness. Righteousness, justice and fairness. So you see, you, you, you can't actually be a righteous person without being generous and caring about justice. That is that all people are treated equally. Fairness, that there is equity in every area of human life. That's one reason why the Jews are charitable towards those particularly of their own who are poor because it's part of their expression of who they are. The word, uh, the Hebrew word, which is most often translated uh, generous or generosity in the Bible is nadiv. It actually means noble and generous. So it can have two meanings. And interestingly, the English word generous comes from the French, general. I wouldn't have a clue if that's how you pronounce it because I didn't learn French in school. But it originally, you're laughing, Mark. Did I get it wrong? I must have got it wrong. <laughs> it was a good try though, wasn't it, eh? <laughs> but it originally meant of noble birth and only later came to have the meaning unselfish and plentiful. But it's interesting, isn't it, that one of the roles of the king is to look after the people who are poor. In other words, nobility, people in nobility ought to be generous to those who are not as well off as they are. So, you know what? We're kings and priests nowadays. The, the Bible tells us that. We are noble. We belong to God's nobility. And therefore, as part of the expression of who we are, we must be generous. What about the standard of generosity for us today? Forget about the French three or four hundred years ago. Forget about the Hebrew a couple of thousand years ago. What does the New Testament say to us in regard to generosity today? Oh, hang on a minute. There's something I haven't shared with you, and I have to because it's a long list. Um, you see on the right-hand side of the screen an arrow going down. What was printed in there on the PowerPoint, but it didn't come over when we converted it, is increasing merit. So in, in Hebrew thinking, this list represents increasing merit associated with generosity. I'll read through them very quickly. Levels of sadaka, giving begrudgingly, lowest level of merit. Giving less than you should, but cheerfully, a little bit more merit, but it's still way down there near the bottom. Giving after being asked, then giving before being asked, right? Giving before being asked is better than giving after being asked in Hebrew thinking. The, one, uh, the fifth one is uh, when you do, uh, giving when you do not know the recipient's identity, but the recipient knows yours. 
a little higher than that on the merit scale. Uh, giving when you know the recipient's identity but the recipient does not know yours. A little higher still when neither party knows the other's identity. And this is a really interesting one. The most meritorious uh, level of giving in Hebrew thinking is to enable the recipient to become self-reliant so that they don't need charity or they don't need that level of giving or generosity, that they've come to the point where they themselves are prospering. I love that. So the most meritorious form of generosity is to bring somebody up to the level where they don't need your generosity anymore, but they are so generous that they can actually be generous to others. Now, that's not directly from the Bible. This is where Jewish rabbis have taken it, all right? So we could sit down and we could perhaps argue about some of the order of those things. But I do think it's interesting that in their thinking, the most meritorious form of giving is that which raises someone up to a higher level. And that's one of the most important and, and fundamental ideas in Christianity, that we can be raised up to a higher level. And it has changed nations. We take it for granted. No, on the whole, in Australia today, we reject Christianity. But the idea that we can come, become better has actually driven economic development in Australia, the United States, in much of Europe, in many, many countries. And I can show you the data that demonstrate beyond any doubt that we are far better off today than we were even one generation ago. It's because it's in our thinking, but it's solidly biblical thinking. So in terms of New Testament thinking, what might we use as a base thought in generosity? Well, in Galatians 6, 9 to 10, I think there's a key. It's coming towards the conclusion of a fairly long discussion by Paul on, on living after he leaves, so he's been in, in uh, Galatia, he's been speaking to the Christians there, he's about to leave and he's going to leave them on his own and he actually says he's fearful that wolves will come in among them and try to pick them off. And he says this, And let us not grow weary while doing good. You could alternatively translate, Let us not grow weary while being generous. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. A direct reference back to the proverb that I quoted from earlier on. Proverbs um, 24 that was. Uh, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Let us be generous to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So the priority is to look after our own, as it were, and then be generous to others it's a very interesting thing you know that the world evangelical alliance has established the global generosity network i saw some data the other day that i haven't really been able to verify but it suggested that on average christians only actually give away 2.8 percent of their income that's on average right across the board which actually isn't very generous. And uh, the guy who's on the right here, his name's Sass 
Conradi. I know, I know Sass. And he's the guy who's been appointed by the World Evangelical Alliance to head up this global ministry which is aimed at inspiring uh, Christians to be better stewards, to increase their generosity and to give more. I mean, when I first met him, I thought this is a bit of a joke, actually. How come, how come the World Evangelical Alliance, which represents some 600 million Christians around the world, how come they feel it is necessary to establish a global ministry called the Global Generosity Network? What have we missed? What have we missed? He's a great guy. He's a great guy. And uh, doing a fabulous job. I, I haven't put up the uh, URL for their website because it's actually been hacked. So until they fix that, you're probably better off keeping off away from their website. But it's very, very interesting to have a look at. Because they feel that on the whole, the body of Christ is missing out on the blessing that comes through generosity. And I cannot emphasize enough how important it is if we want to be expressing our likeness, our imageness in God, we need to be generous. Now, I don't like haranguing people and I don't like being harangued. I don't like being wound up emotionally by uh, giving messages and things like that. I actually don't think that's what it's all about. And, and you know, I might be good enough I might be good enough at preaching to be able to condemn you into being generous for one moment. But our prayer this morning was actually not that anyone would feel condemned. Some might feel convicted, that is, motivated by the Holy Spirit to rethink their attitudes towards generosity. Now, as it turns out, here at Ignite Life Church Gold Coast, if you go onto our webpage and you have a look at the little list of things that we believe in, one of those says this, generosity should be as natural to the Christian as breathing. As natural to the Christian as breathing. Now, what it doesn't say is, because we had a limit to the number of words, because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, we're righteous... Because through God's generosity, Jesus' broken body and shed blood made it possible for us to dwell with him in eternity. Now, because of what Jesus achieved on the cross, God simply declares that we are righteous. All right? Now, you might have committed the most heinous sin yesterday. God has declared that you are righteous because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that sacrifice made by the one man for all humankind once and for all. But this is what I want to leave you with as a conviction, that because we are righteous, we can never live a fulfilled life unless we express that righteousness in generosity. It's not about an emotional, hyped-up presentation that will get you to empty your pockets and put it in a bucket. Actually, that would be fairly low down on that list of merit in our Hebrew thinking. But if this is what it's about. 
It's about giving you the keys to living a fulfilled life. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is a fact. God is in heaven. He declares that. No matter how you feel, no matter what you might think, no matter what people think of you, no matter what people say to you, you are righteous because of the generosity of God through the death of his son. But what I would say to you, and this is what we believe in at Ignite Life Church Gold Coast, is that if you want to live a full, what I would call a fully fulfilled life, you need to be generous because it's the other side of the coin. God has made you righteous, therefore he has made you generous, and when you don't act in the reality of who you are, you have a sense that you are unfulfilled. I know this to be true because of what I've experienced in my own life. And Jeanette, my wife, is far more generous than I am. Um, in fact, sometimes I've gone crook on her for giving stuff away. But I tell you what, there's a, there are a lot of kitchen appliances in other people's houses, all sorts of things, because Jeanette's given them away. And, and um, I'm thinking that I won't give her $50 notes for pocket money anymore because every now and then I just see her, she's handing someone a $50 note. But she's generous and God has never, ever left her lacking. To be righteous is to be generous. To be miserly is actually to deny who you truly are in Christ.